Hello everyone and welcome to episode 14 of the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts Paul Ducklin. Hello. Mark Stockley. Hi. And Matt Boddy. Hello world. <laughs> Am I still doing this? Yeah. Are you going to do that every time? Every every time. Because that's your thing now. I, it's all I do. I'm not, if I say nothing else for the rest of the podcast. You've made your name already. There we go. Happy 2019 everyone. Did you all have a nice break and what did you do? Yes, I had a nice break. <laughs> I'm not going to reveal any personal information, thank you very much. I can't ask what you've I took done, an undisclosed number week. of people to an undisclosed location for an undisclosed period of time, and we have what I can only describe as fun. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Did you wear silly hats while showing as well? I can't disclose that. Uh, yeah, Mark would never wear a silly hat. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I could say I did some excellent and informative hacking, but I did do something vaguely technical... I solved the bicycle tubeless tyre bead breaking problem. Nobody makes a tool to do bead breaking on modern big fat tubeless tyres and they're really hard to get off if you get a puncture. But it turns out if you get one of those little hardware clamps that you use for holding wood together when you glue it, it's actually fantastic for getting big fat tubeless off-road bicycle tyres off in an emergency. Good. I was doing the same thing that I did in last week's podcast because, oh. yeah, I, I take a long time to do things. You're hacksawing. Hacksawing. So I was I was playing with the elastic stack still and playing with honeypots, namely cowrie honeypot, and um, it was a lot of fun. I didn't do anything techy at all, but there was something that caught my eye, which I thought I would mention, and that was the uh, a bit of research came out last week about kids using tablets mm-hmm. and phones. The conclusion at the same time. Yeah, they're really clever. Really Sometimes they need able two. To, yeah, really two at once. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because obviously, I, I've got I've got young kids, so I am like a lot of other people. Young kids, I'm concerned about you know sort of tablet and phone use, and lots of people are worried about is it bad for them. So somebody conducted some research, and the UK government came out with a recommendation that there's nothing intrinsically bad about tablets and phones. You know, maybe you want to limit their screen time, but don't like it's not nuking their faces or doing anything like this. I love these kinds of pieces of research because for me they just miss the point entirely because there's lots of people out there going now told you so there's no evidence that they do you any harm which is kind of an interesting take on evidence anyway because proving a negative is very difficult but if you've ever spent any time with a kid in an iPad the iPad is like crack to a child so you can summarise this stuff much more generally and go if there's something your child wants to do for eight hours straight don't let it do it. If it's a phone, don't let it do it. If it's an iPad, don't let it do it. If it's telly, don't let it do it. If it's eating sugar, don't let it do it. If he wants to do anything for eight hours straight, it's bad for the child. It doesn't have to be an iPad or a phone or anything like that. When they grow up and they're expected to work eight hours a day, five days a week, then they're going to realise that somebody made life look rosier than it was going to end up. <laughs> so lots of stuff happened over Christmas, didn't it? It's been fantastic stories since we came back from the Christmas break because I think everybody stored them up well also we thought we'd put it out there on Twitter to see what our followers wanted us to talk about Um, and a couple of people asked about securing the IoT which is actually related to our first topic this week which is Chromecast the hacker giraffe is back and he's brought his friends what happened? those of you who remember THG the hacker giraffe we assume it's a bloke and he used uh, internet search engines to go out and find people who had printers that obviously weren't supposed to be on the internet but were, and then he printed out like a warning document saying your printer shouldn't be on the internet, and he put in some advertising for his favourite YouTube video blogger, 
a guy called PewDiePie. And this time he did the same sort of thing, but he went after Chromecast devices. And it turns out that probably by accident rather than by design, quite a lot of people in some parts of the world, I think they had on the order of 100,000 people, had Chromecast that were visible on the network. And on about 65,000 of them, he decided to repeat his unauthorized access printer experiment and he rip-rolled 65,000 people on the internet. This was a sort of sad reminder that we're in a world where lots of things are connected that really shouldn't be and are connected without the person who owns them realising it. This brought UPnP to the forefront of people's attentions because it was UPnP on the router That's being a universal plug-and-play. Universal plug-and... So it's a way of simply connecting devices together over a network, right? Similar to how plug-and-play on your laptop means that when you, when you plug something in, it automatically discovers it and it works straight away. But universal plug-and-play is the network-based version of that. There's a thing called SSDP, Simple Service Discovery Protocol, where basically devices say, hello, here I am including inviting routers to advertise them or open them up to the outside. So my my friend works here at Sophos, uh, reset up his... He moved house, so he set up his new network. And this was about um, six months ago or so now. And six months ago, suddenly he browsed to his IP address of his network because he was wanting to access his firewall from outside of his network, which he was allowing... But when he browsed to his IP address, he didn't get displayed with the firewall. Instead, he was displayed with a login prompt for his network access storage um, device, which he believed was only accessible within his network. So he thought he would be able to log into his firewall and maybe from then make his way onwards. And when he went to his firewall, it said, hello, you're already inside the network. Precisely. So, so anyone who knew the name of his cat could have got onto his NAS. Precisely. <laughs> if that's what his password Fortunately, was. Fortunately, his cat is called SY8 <laughs> exclamation point backslash backslash. Exactly. It takes about 20 minutes to call her in every evening. <laughs> so just, just to rewind a little. So I've got a Chromecast device at home. Am I vulnerable? Well, this is the thing. It, it's hard to say, isn't it? What, what It seems from what people have said, commenters have said, on naked security is that if you can't get it to work on your network, then Google support says, oh, well, go into your router. There's probably an option that says enable universal plug and play, which will make it work on your network, turn it on. And what you don't know is quite how extensive that turning it on means in terms of your router. And you don't realize that actually also open things up to the outside. So I think the answer is kind of, it depends on your router and there are lots of different sorts. So when my when my friend browsed to his IP address of his network and he got uh, shown his NAS, it, it's because UPnP was enabled by default in his router. So a lot of routers are enabling UPnP by default for the outside world to be able to access. So that for him it was on by default, and when it's on, it's like all on or not on at all. It can't be on just for Chromecast or just for printers inside. So I think that depends on the, the router because yeah. a lot of routers are going to have different nuances, meaning that if you enable UPnP, it may be enabling UPnP to display these devices that are available internally to the outside world. Whereas if you um, if you disable UPnP, it may mean that UPnP is just enabled on the internal network so your phone can connect to your Chromecast. Now, Chromecasts were, have this port accessible to them. I think it's port 8008. The ports that tell you your Chromecast is exposed will be 8008, 
8009 and 8443, which is the HTTPS, the TLS, the secure version. So if those ports are visible from outside, that probably means somebody can probe your Chromecast. But A, those aren't the only ports to worry about. And B, if they're open, you don't know what else might open itself up later. So, yeah, exactly. So if UPnP is enabled on the router, then it's likely that 8008 or 8009 and 8443 may be displayed outside of your network. And therefore, if you do a port scan and you find those, it may be... So I don't think we have generic advice for people that they can just go to their home router and that there's just one option they can turn off that guarantees their Chromecasts are sealed off from the world. It depends on a lot of other factors around about. So that's, a, that's our IoT story. Well, that's the IoT angle. But I think there's something else in this as well that we, we ought to talk about. And that is, obviously, the, the hacks started off because we've got this guy, what was his name? The Hacker Giraffe. The Hacker Giraffe made printers print out messages, essentially as a warning saying, did you know your printer's visible on the internet? Now we've seen the same thing with Chromecast devices. They're not the first person to do this kind of thing. No, no. And I, I hope I speak for all of us when I say... We don't approve, and I think your article sets that out very nicely. And if, you, if you're if you doing this, even if you're doing it for lols, you're probably breaking the law. Certainly you're breaking yeah. the law if you're doing it in well, the Did UK. you see the hacker giraffe actually post, well, we assume it really was him, posted something to Pastebin saying, I just want to let everyone know that I'm going into hiding because I've heard that law enforcement, the FBI, they want to know what's going on because that's their bailiwick, right? They're, mm. And now he's thinking, oh, honestly, I really only meant to help. The problem is he may end up having to explain that he only wanted to help Honest Gov to the court rather than just to his mum. Now, here's the but. I think the interesting thing about computer security, as I've said before, is it, it's about people. And I've worked in and around computer security long enough to see that actually the thing that moves the needle more than anything else, naming and shaming and public embarrassment, Heartbleed, yeah. big data breaches, great big, uh, you know, public yeah. um, incidents like Heartbleed. And I'm still a bit yeah. conflicted about where I stand on these things because as an individual, I, you know, I think the hacker giraffe is probably having some fun. And quite often you see people, we saw this a few years ago with the big DDoS attack on Sony at Christmas. You have people who are very obviously doing things to tickle themselves and they dress it up as security awareness yeah, and they say, problem, oh, we it? were just demonstrating that you had a security problem. And then there's a group of people who really are doing it to demonstrate security issues. The- well, we had, a, we had a comment from a reader who said, don't be too hard on this guy. In the previous hack, and we're using air quotes there, we got that message printed on one of our printers. We absolutely didn't realise. We've now done a review and sealed off 50 printers on our network all things considered, kind of did us a favour. And reluctantly, you have to admit that there is that side to it. It just might not end up with you being the superhero with everybody, least of all with the magistrate. So a good rule of thumb, if you're uh, thinking about doing something on a computer or advice that doesn't belong to you, just take a quick look at your ID badge. And if it doesn't say FBI, you probably shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> yeah. Every professional penetration tester would agree with us. You know, you don't do stuff without permission because bad things can happen, even if you have the noblest intentions. And since you can't predict what they are, then you shouldn't go there. You need your get-out-of-jail card or your, your permission. So our ne- on to our next subject. Adobe's patched two critical flaws in Acrobat and Reader. Are they the new Flash? 
I don't know if they're the new Flash. I reckon they're, they're, the Flash. they're pretty old Flash as well. Adobe Reader has been very quietly running along in Flash's shadow for years. On the, on the list of things you should really question whether or not you've got them on your computer. It's not, yeah. it's not up there with Flash, but it's, I'm not sure what comes ahead of it. As some of our readers said, they kind of still like Acrobat because the free version actually has some quite cool form-filling features that you don't get in the entry-level products. And, you know, how will they manage, how will they live without it? Or people install them once because they need it for something and they just forget that Absolutely. Got it. And then they maybe even forget to turn updating on. Yeah. Maybe they got a version before updating was automatic. I, well, I think as well it, it may just come down to something as simple as the, the PDF icon on a lot of people's machines has yeah. got Adobe on it. So this, there wasn't a flash patch this time. It was an out-of-band one. No, this it? is about... This uh, is specific to... This the, is about APS B19-02 for Adobe Acrobat and Adobe Acrobat Reader. There are two CVEs, which means there's two... Separate... Acrobat's the one you pay for and Reader's the one you get for free, isn't it? Yeah. So Acrobat allows you to create PDFs with things like embedded forms and Reader is the thing that you can use, the free product you can use to consume those things. So there's, there's two CVEs, that means there's two vulnerabilities, but they both amount to the same thing, which is that the, both of them allow uh, a malicious PDF to compromise your computer. One is memory abuse, a use after free. It's like a buffer overflow where you write to the wrong bit of memory. So that's like a low-level binary exploit thing. And the other one is to do with JavaScript insecurity. Is that right? Where yeah. some JavaScript that you run that's supposed to be able to do a little bit of stuff can actually do a lot more than it was supposed to. Correct. And put you in harm's way. Now, the, these in the wild... So they're, they're critical flaws and they had the priority of two, which on Adobe's priority scheme means these are bad, but nobody's exploiting them yet. So typically we see flash vulnerabilities coming yeah. out as either one or two. They're either being exploited in the wild or we're kind of waiting for someone to do it. These are two. What it amounts to is the same thing. You need to patch. But these were out of band, weren't they? They weren't yes. at the expected time. And usually that means, oh dear, the crooks got there first, so this is a zero day. But in this case, you're saying that they're not being exploited, but nevertheless, they figured they'd get the patch out quickly. What, do we know why that is? Is that because they kind of figured, wow, now we found it. It was much more obvious than we thought. Or? I don't know, actually, but I think you're right. You know, you should take your lead from the fact that they didn't wait for Patch Tuesday. Yeah. So you shouldn't either. So I want to play a bit of devil's advocate here because, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> I don't think... So Acrobat is obviously on a quite a lot of computers. A lot of people use it to read PDFs, at Acrobat Reader. So do you think that Acrobat is, is being exploited because it's the most popular program? Most Kind of like most malware is designed for Windows because it has historically been the most used operating system. I think it's like murder in the movies. It's about motive and opportunity. This is a cheery podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you're in the, in, on TV, when you're looking for a, yeah. the murderer... You're looking for somebody who's got motive and opportunity. And if you're a crook and you're in the business of compromising people's computers, you're going to go where risk, reward, profit, loss is most beneficial to you. The fact that it's very, very popular isn't by itself enough. That it has to be fertile ground. And I think that what we see with what we saw with Java in the browser, what we see with Flash, and what we see with Adobe Acrobat and Adobe Reader is that they're both of those things. So they're very widely deployed but they are fertile ground for finding things as well. But you don't hear as much about the ones in Reader because they tend to be overshadowed by all the noise around Flash. So Adobe are kind of chasing their tails in a way because they are um, hindered by the fact they've got a lot of products out there from a long time ago, which means that actually some of the, some of the 
some of the problems which have occurred with these products may have been in, in quite old code when they weren't as concerned about security. I think they are now quite security focused and they've caught them before they're out in the wild. The point is, they found the problems, they fixed it, they put out the patch. You can read a lot or a little into that. You know, Microsoft put out dozens of patches on a regular basis every month. Linux and all its surrounding software that makes it work put out patches for all the time. So in a way, it's, it's almost as though people go, oh, Adobe, oh, that'll be Flash. Oh, it's not Flash, it's Reader. Wow, that's even worse slash better slash different slash interesting. So you know, maybe we should say, well, this is good. It's only like they only found two bugs at the same time. But it is, a, I think, a reminder that if you're, if you're just thinking, oh, well, I've got rid of Flash, I don't need to worry about anything else that might go with it. If you've got Adobe Acrobat, as Anna said, you kind of installed it ages ago and then forgot about it. Patch early, patch often. Yeah, and because of Adobe's reputation for zero-day holes in Flash, and, this is more of the same. I think that they'll probably find it a lot easier to rehabilitate their profile after the end of 2020. Then they begin that ending Flash. <laughs> that's when they're going to flush Flash down the toilet. On to our next subject. Someone's made a wax model of a hand and beaten vein authentication. Is that right? Basically, that's it. Is so that the, the someone's oh, in... the hand! The hand! <laughs> I, w- I wish people listening could see what you're doing. I'll take a picture. <laughs> yeah. Oh, to Instagram. Well done, Anna. Carry on. This is good for radio. Anyway, so the someone's in question were a couple of gentlemen called uh, Jan Chrysler and Julian Albrecht, and they revealed their research at the Chaos Communications Congress. What they did was they made a wax model of a hand, and then they photographed their own hand uh, using a normal SLR, so just a normal camera. They took the near-infrared filter off the camera, and then they used that image of their veins with the wax hand to defeat an expensive hand vein reader. So presumably the photo alone wouldn't work because it's flat. But the, the high-quality photo with the right contours actually fooled the system. Presumably. Before we all go, oh, golly, that means the crooks can just get a picture of my hand off Instagram and in low resolution and walk into my phone. They had to put a lot of effort in, didn't they? They did. I think, that that, I think that's where this stuff gets really interesting. So the way that they talked about it, they said, yes, it was hard. So they had to take 2,500 photos before they got it right. Okay, so it was difficult to get mm. this right in the first place. And this is their own hand, so they're controlling yeah, yeah. position, lighting. And yeah. But but I look at it like this. So um, there's lots of different kinds of biometrics out there, and we see these sorts of things going on. Like biometrics is still pretty new, and there's lots of different biometrics. So you see people probing, you know, can we fool fingerprint readers? Can we fool face recognition? In this case, can we fool uh, vein recognition? Now, vein recognition is quite expensive, so the people who tend to use it are going to be people who've got lots of money to spend who want a high degree of security. And your pattern of veins are unique to you and you don't leave them lying around like you leave fingerprints lying around. So it's, it's oh, a good okay. option for security. So it's fingerprint-esque, yeah. but no one else can easily get a copy. By yes. This. I look at the 2,500 photographs that these guys took. They're learning from scratch how to do this. So let's assume that somebody is motivated to do this, that they go through a process of learning how to do it. They take 2,000, 3,000 photos to figure out how to do it to themselves. What the researchers said is that they reckoned that now they've done that, they could probably use photographs taken from up to five metres away. And their scenario was they reckoned they could probably do it at a press conference. 
buy shares in the glove factory. Well, professional hand models are going to be in big trouble. So, so given the sorts of places that we might expect vein recognition to be used, I don't actually think this is that much work because I can only imagine that this would be used in some kind of targeted attack against a high-value target. Presumably, this is only a real worry if the hand recognition is all you've got. So if you're using it as a second factor or as part of a multi-factor authentication scheme... Well, uh, yes and no. Yes and no. As you've said before in the past, you know, if you've got 2FA, that doesn't mean you can get away with one of those factors being weak. You know, right, you yeah. d- uh, using 2FA is not an excuse for having a weak password. We shouldn't run around with our hair on fire because they've done this, but I think it's instructive. Mm. I, I guess people think of, they think of palm print scanners. It's, it's all, it, it feels like some kind of government research lab. Mm. So this is a super high tech hack. So people don't have these scanners in their phones generally, yeah. do they? So it doesn't really affect any of us at home. And yet this particular story has brought out a, what I see as a kind of core fear in biometrics. When you use a biometric device, obviously it actually has to take a picture of your fingerprint or take a high quality image of your face to recognize what happens to the data. Where does it go and who owns it and what could it be reused? And the other thing that you often hear people talking about is, well, if I get a password or a credit card with a CVV on the back or a pin or whatever, I can change it. If my token gets compromised, I can throw it away and buy a new one. How do I get new fingerprints? Like if if I use a system that gets compromised today, does that mean I have to go and have plastic surgery to be secure in the future? So I've been on a bit of journey, been on a bit of a journey with biometrics. So I was always, I always used to be of the exactly that opinion that you've just articulated, that you can't change your biometrics, and that that makes it fundamentally a bad way of authenticating yourself. And also, actually, it's it's imprecise. So you know, password is a it's a binary question. You either got the right password or you haven't. Whereas with something like face recognition or fingerprint re- recognition, it's actually it's more of an assertion. It's like we're pretty sure that's you. Yeah. But you're it's never. Um, it's never binary. And so I kind of, I, I guess I sort of ruled it out. And then I was looking into WebAuthn recently and I wrote an article about uh, passwordless authentication on the web, which may, it doesn't have to involve biometrics, but it might involve biometrics. And that, I think, provides some pointers for the way that this might be used practically. And the first is I kind of expect that biometrics are going to be used as part of multi-factor authentication because I think multi-factor authentication is how we will do authentication in future. So I noticed a comment on the, one of the Naked Security articles, not on the uh, the vain one, but on, on the one for facial recognition by being fooled by photographs on, on a, a certain number of Android phones. Somebody commented saying, I can see um, facial recognition being used in place of usernames in the future. Rather than passwords, perhaps it will be, yeah, like you said, exactly mm. like you say, it'll be a form of authentication or a, a factor of authentication, mm. but not the factor. Mm. And the other, the other issue that we get, particularly from US listeners and readers, the US in its Bill of Rights has the, the Fifth Amendment that gives you a, a right to avoid self-incrimination. So there are questions that you can simply refuse. And depending on which court you go to, some of them say, well, you, because you'd have to speak out your password or write it down, it's kind of this written testimony, therefore it falls under the Fifth Amendment. So there have been cases where courts have said, the cops can't ask for your password, or if they do, you can mm. refuse to give it and you can't be in any yeah. trouble. But if they demand you to swipe your phone and demand your fingerprint, then the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply because it's not testimony. It's just 
the end of your finger. And I think that that's another another reason that I think multi-factor authentication is kind of inevitably the future. That's about all from us this week. Thanks to Doc, Mark and Matt, as always. And thanks to you all for listening. Please rate and review our podcast. It helps boost us in the charts and allows other people to find us. You can tweet us at Naked Security with suggestions for the podcast or you can email us at tips at And until next time... Stay, stay secure. secure. Stay secure. Stay secure. Stay secure.